I got to confess to you something, okay? I got to confess to you, I'm a little bit of a buzzkill. That's it. If you're my friend or you're married to me, I'm a little bit of a buzzkill. It's sort of a, br- a bummer. I feel bad saying that out loud, but it's, it's sort of true. Well, it's really true. And the reason I am, it's so wild. The reason I am is that I, I have that thing, maybe you have this inside you as well, that when you get this moment of joy, if you heard Ben's sermon from a couple weeks ago with the bunt cake illustration, like if you, if, if, if like the, the gifts that come, the sweet gifts that come my way, like that moment of like, oh, this is so good and so rich. It's hard for me to stay focused in that moment because what do you, what do, you do? What do I do? What do I do? I go to the way the, way the shoe's going to drop. You, you know what I'm, anybody resonate with that? Uh, yeah, I go to the like, yeah, but tomorrow this isn't going to be here. Or, you know, if, like to push the metaphor a little bit further, like, yeah, well, I may have the bun cake today, but I'm not going to fit in my pants tomorrow. Like, that's how it works. There's no free lunch. It always comes out for us, like when we're traveling or whatever, like I'm this big adventurer, but at the same time, like when things don't go my way or like trying to just enjoy the moment, Linda's like, oh, this is so sweet. It's just this big joke because she just loves every moment of all of it. And I'm like, yeah, but we got to be careful because if we miss that flight, then that puts us a day behind and we're not going to be able. And she's like, or we could just enjoy the ride. (laughs) I married an optimist, which really which is irritating. I mean, it's just, this. just. <laughs> but there's some relationship about joy and the future, and I have a broken relationship with it. I don't get to receive that moment and that beauty. And yet, friends, joy is not, receiving joy in the moment is not about the, neck, the shoe dropping or how it's going to be gone tomorrow. Joy in the moment is a signal to you that that's the God who gave it to you, and he will be at work again. Did you hear that? Joy is a gift to us where God's saying it's a signal to you that he has been at work and he'll be at work again. So I got some work to do in my life. Maybe you want to join me with that. This, so my sermon today on joy, it's three out of four joy sermons that we're doing is joy and waiting for more joy. There's a relationship between experiencing joy and then waiting for more joy about what's ahead of us, that there's still places where we need more joy. I want to be in Psalm 126 today. If you were in the couples retreat, we were in that the whole weekend together. Um, and it was so rich, I thought that really needed to be talked about because it's about joy. So uh, this is what I want you to do. We're going to keep the lights on. I want everybody to grab a Bible. We're going to do a little Bible study, okay? So I'm going to come down in, the, in here. And so um, you guys feel free to go get up and get one on the, if you're in the front row. Somebody get taught a Bible over there or open it for him. That'd be great. Everybody, I'd love everybody to have a Bible. We're not going to put the, the text on the screen. We're going to walk through Psalm 126. And in fact, if, um, if we run out of time, we'll run out of time, but we'll, we'll have been in the Word. So Psalm 126. Somebody have a page number from the church Bible for me? Okay, got that? 617. 617. Psalm 126, we'll walk through it together, do a little Bible study. Joy and waiting for more joy. I'll wait for everybody to get there, because I'd love to have everybody have it in front of them. Psalm 126, okay? When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Some of you are like, wait, maybe I'm in the wrong passage. Some of you, if you have your own Bibles, anybody have a different translation from that first phrase? Anybody have a different translation in that first phrase? Great, then we won't bring it up. Okay, <laughs> when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, some of the older traditions say when the Lord returned the captives to Zion. 
And there's some Hebrew, cool Hebrew thing where it could mean both things. And in fact, it is what the psalm is written about. It's written about when the captives who were in exile in Babylon were returned to the promised land. If you were here last week, you heard a really nerdy history version of the Nehemiah passage. I preached on the joy of the Lord is my strength. And that's from Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, that, that whole time was happening, went uh, after the fact that the, the Israelites had been overrun by the Babylonians, the temple destroyed, which was a big deal because the temple signified God's presence among them and them being God's chosen people, that he would be with them. Temple was destroyed, city was destroyed, people were killed, and many people were exiled to Babylon, so they basically erased the Israelites. They couldn't in a million years ever believe, they thought it was over. They thought the story that God was writing for them was over. Many of us have had experiences, maybe some almost as devastating for you personally, where you think the story that God is writing is over. How would we ever get out of this? What's going to happen now? So in Nehemiah, we talked about that last week. If you didn't hear that sermon, you can go catch up on, online and get it. In this text, that's what it's referring to. The, this is a song of ascents. You see that at the top of Psalm 126, which means it's one of a, a collection of psalms that the Israelites would sing on their way up the mountain and up the steps to the temple mount and going into the temple where they would worship God. It was them saying, hey, listen, as we're going to go and make our way to the presence of God and really give him glory and worship him and give him our lives, here's some psalms we want to sing on the way. So it was kind of like the best, like Billboard's top one, Jewish Billboard one top 14 psalms or whatever. Like it was their thing. And so they're, they're important psalms. And so this is one of them. And so it starts with this whole community reflecting on the history of the exiles being brought back. Oh, so I forgot to tell you that. I told you that in Nehemiah last time. There was no way that the Israelites were ever going to get out of this mess. Their city was destroyed. Their temple was destroyed. Their people were scattered. And the rest of them were in exile in Babylon. Hope was gone. The prophet Jeremiah comes and speaks during that time and says, yeah, except... I'm not going to give up on my promise to you. And when 70 years has passed, I'm going to bring you back in and restore you in the land, and it'll be fruitful. And everybody went, that is not possible. And in 70 years, God raised up a new king and sent the Israelites back into the land. Now, Psalm 126, and when the Lord restored those fortunes, Look at your, your text. When the Lord brought back the captives, in other words, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, that means Israel. And this is like in 536 or 537. When the Lord restored the, cap, the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. That's exactly, the Hebrew means exactly what it says in the English there. It's like we couldn't believe it. It was like a dream come true. The, very, the most we could ever imagine or conceive of, God did it. And so look at the reaction. So our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. Our tongues with songs of joy. Songs of joy, that's a very psalm-like English way to say screeches uh, and cackling and it's shouts. It's an acclamation. It actually means shouts of joy or shouting. It just means shouting or crying out or calling out. So here are these, they're saying, look back, community, look back on our history when God did something that blew our minds. And what did the result, what was the result? That our mouths were full of laughter 
and our tongues with shouts of joy we couldn't contain. Look what God has done. It's almost like squeals of delight. It's almost like that, that, that automatic response that happens only in children. It doesn't happen to you anymore ever that you squeal with delight. Like you out of control squeal because you cannot believe how amazing this is. You gave that up when you were 11. And nobody has liked you ever since. Like you were at your best prior to that when you squealed uncontrollably over God's gifts. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. We were like people who dreamed. Our dreams were coming true and we could not believe it. And so we were full of joy. Point one of this text is going to teach us, oh, well, let's go keep going. And then it was said among the nations. Look at verse two, the rest of verse two. Then it was said among the nations. What did the nations say? What did everybody else say when they looked at what God had done? What did they say? The Lord's done great things for them. Like it was so obvious and mind-blowing that everybody around was like, wow, look at that. The Lord has done great things for them. And then look at verse three. It's like this reflection that happens. The Lord has done great things for us. There's this calling to live in the moment. The Lord, wait, when God blew our doors off in our history and people squealed with delight and their mouths were full of laughter, it was like a dream come true. It was amazing. And it was so obvious that everybody around said, wow, look at God's blessing you. And then it caused this reflection to say, God is blessing us. The Lord has been good to us, the psalmist says. And we are what? Filled with joy. That's the first point of today. It's been the point of every sermon so far. Ben really, I thought, did a great job two weeks ago talking about it. And that is, is that our hearts are full of joy because of what he has done. Our hearts are full of joy because of what he has done. That's what it, we look back at what he's done and we go, that brings joy. The psalmist is saying, look back, look back, look back. Look at when he blew our minds. Look back when he did something nobody could have ever predicted. Look back when you said that was never going to happen and God showed up for you. Look back, look back, look back. And for you, that may be some big things. It may be some little things. It may be just living in the moment. It may be the moments of beauty and sweetness and peace that God brings in the moment, a gift, a, a, his graciousness. Or it may be some of the big stuff where you look back and go, my life got rescued by God. But that stuff fills us with joy, and we need to get in touch with it. And maybe that's the only message you need to hear today. In Ben's metaphor, he's given, your days are full of bunt cakes, and you have to realize that God's showing up and blessing you and get a hold of it. I just put this back in my pocket two weeks ago after Ben's sermon. I told you last week, Ben's sermon really impacted me. This says, enjoy the moment. It's just a little, something, a little knickknack somebody got me. Did you give me that? And it's just this live, live in the present, enjoy, I love because it has the word joy in it. Enjoy the moment. There's a, this moment God is present in it. And I put it in my pocket for the last couple of weeks because I have to remember that my God has showed up in the past and he's showing up presently. Our hearts are full of joy because of what he has done. And maybe you just need to hear that word and remember that and go back and make the list every day. See him in the moment, see him in the past. But the psalm goes on, it turns from there, and it goes from uh, what God has done to what we're longing for. And the second point that, that I want you to see this morning is that our hearts then long for what is not yet. Our hearts long for what is not yet, or what, is, what loss we've experienced. Go ahead and put that up, Rick, that next uh, slide. Or not. There it is. We long 
Our hearts long, so our hearts are full of joy for what he's done, but we also, our hearts long for joy where it is not yet, where the joy has not yet happened or where we've experienced loss. See, that's the problem that I get into is that I'm always focusing on that one and I don't recognize the joy in the first place. But the joy in the first place was not so that I could go, yeah, but the shoe's gonna drop. The joy in the first place was in order to remind me that this God will show up for me just like he did in the past, will show up for me in the things that he hasn't yet shown up in or the places where I've experienced loss. Joy is a signal to you, church. Joy is a signal to you that that same God will come again tomorrow and the next day and on into the future, wherever you're facing. And you can see that in where this text takes us. So look back at Psalm 126. So when the Lord did this amazing thing and returned the the captives, restored the fortunes, we were like those who dreamed. It was mind-blowing. Like God was fulfilling our dreams. And so our mouths are filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Everybody saw it, and the nation said he'd done great things for us, and it made us go, right, yes, wait, yes, he's done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. Now we're at verse four that turns to this prayer. So restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Restore our fortunes, Lord. So it's like, hey, God, when you restored the fortunes of Zion, and it was like mind-blowing to us, do it again. Do some more of that. It turns to a prayer. We long, you guys, for God to keep doing his work. It turns to a prayer. Joy signifies that this God can keep doing it. And so we pray that. We cry that out. We say, God, do more of that. Restore our fortunes, God. Keep coming at us. You're able to do that work. Come and do that work some more. Do more of that, God. Do more of that, God. Do more of that, God. That's what joy does. It leads us to be able to pray that prayer. Restore our fortunes. So come do more. And what, restore our fortunes like what? What's it say in your text? Verse four. Like streams in the Negev. Anybody know what the Negev is? Right? You're, you're guessing it's the desert. Yeah. It's like streams in the Negev. This is a problem when you read your Bible. It's like restore our fortunes, God, like streams in the Negev. Well, there aren't streams in the Negev until there are. Because the streams in the Negev, the Negev gets less than an inch of rain a year. And what biologists and meteorologists tell us is that when there'll be no cloud on the horizon and there'll have been no rain for months and months and months until a cloud forms and all of a sudden a storm comes and it unleashes a deluge and water starts filling up the little nooks and crannies and the crevices and channeling into the bigger creeks and then down and until these rivers flow through the desert with such abundance and such overwhelming ferocity that everything in its way has to go, they go running, it goes overflows the banks. And so then the crops that people are planting down there get watered and wildflowers bloom. And they say the wildflowers are the most amazingly beautiful thing because they haven't seen life in months. And now there's streams in the Negev. In other words, there's no life there until there is. That's our experience. Our hearts are longing for God to show up where he's not yet shown up. We usually don't long for the little stuff, guys. We long for the places where we say there's been no life and no rain and no blessing for months. I'm telling you right now, looking back and seeing our God who has filled our hearts with joy in the past is the same God who is with us and calls us as we stand 
in the desert and look out over the landscape and go, I don't see one lousy cloud. It's the same God who says, I will restore your fortunes like streams in the Negev. It doesn't look like there's going to be any hope until it comes and it comes with overwhelming power. And so we cry out for that. That's what we need, God. We need you to come where there has not been anything and bring life. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. And the prayer goes on to say, uh, the psalmist goes on to say, and those, verse 5, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who uh, go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Remember where songs of joy was? It's up above, right? It's the squeals. It's the, it's the acclamation. It's the, it's the shouting out. And then it's here. But they're going to weep. They're going to... Those that go weeping are going to shout for joy. Those that go out sowing their seed are going to come back shouting again for joy. He uses that word two more times in the text. Now, this is the second sermon on joy where the people were weeping. I asked you last week, why were they weeping? What was happening for them that they were weeping? And the answer was then, and I'd really love to hear, have you hear that sermon if you missed it that they were anxious over their brokenness and how far away from God they were and how they missed it. In the Nehemiah passage, Nehemiah goes, you don't have to weep over that. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. It delights God to rescue you. Here, why are they weeping? People, think about it. They've been in exile in Babylon, 70 years. They're coming back into the land. Why do you guess they might be weeping? Somebody tell me. The dreams have come true. So there, there's a, that's the shouts of acclamation. The weeping here is a sad weeping. Why would they be sad, do you think? What's that, Nancy? It's a broken city. They come back and they see nothing but ashes and rubble and destruction. And it's a broken land. The land is lay fallow and hasn't been cultivated for 70 years. And so it's hard and crusty. And so they go, wow. Think about the picture. The Lord restored the captives to Zion. The Lord said, you're going to go back to Israel and be back in my land. And people are like, no, that's never going to happen. And God did it. And those people were like, yes, God did it. And so they go back into the land. And when they show up, they got crummy farmland, rubble of a city, no temple left, and they wept. I think that's a picture of our real lives. For the things that we're longing for with God. We look back and we see the things he's done and we go, that's joyful. But it is really hard to apply that to the stuff that we face right here, the difficult things. And the psalmist is saying, oh, you cry out for life in all of that. Because if you cry out for life and you weep, because yes, it's hard and yes, it's in rubble, you will sow, I mean, what does it say? When you, when you sow with tears, you will reap with renah, that Hebrew word, acclamation of joy. God will come through for you, in other words. And when you go sowing your seed in the hard land, you will come back gathering all these sheaths. You'll come back with God's blessing in your arms with shouts of joy. God will come through for you. They were weeping because the land was hard. Here's the other reason they were weeping. They were weeping because it didn't compare to what their expectations were or what life used to be. It didn't compare to what it used to be. They'd experienced some loss. 
They were like, God, come and work in this way. And then he's like, yeah, I'll work in that way. Go back into the land. They're like, no way. It's a mind blowing. And they walk in and they go, what is this? Friends, we have that experience that we're up against it. And when we come back to, to what God might give us, we're like, that doesn't feel joyful. That feels hard. You resonate with that? But our God says, no, no, I, you, you, if you sow in tears, you'll reap with songs of joy. I can come and meet you in all of that. In fact, he says, it will be far beyond what you originally expected. Look at this verse with me really quick. Look in your Bibles in Exodus. I'm sorry, in Ezra. Ready? Wow, hard one. Ezra. Somebody find it and give a page number. Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. I want you to see it. Four. Four, six, seven. Ezra 3. Got to get there. This is good. We're doing Bible study. We're going to do one more verse before I quit too, so stay with me. You with me? You guys with me? Ezra chapter 3, four, six, page 467. You got it? This is when this is, this is when they began to rebuild the temple. And what they did is they built the foundations. They just started. They built the foundations of the temple. They're like, we're back in the land. Here we go. We don't have a temple. Let's start building it. So they built the foundations of the temple. Look at verse uh, 11. No, let's verse 10. Verse 10. Ezra 3.10. Ready? When the builders laid the foundation of the temple. See it? The priests in their vestments with the trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by, king, by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he is good. Here's that joy that they were like, whoa, we're back in the land. He's good. His love endures forever. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise. There it is. See the great shout of praise? Because the foundation of the home of the house of the Lord was laid. Verse 12 but many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundations of the temple being laid. The older people, who had to be really old because they were gone 70, the temple had been destroyed 70 years, the really old people saw what was being laid and it didn't compare to the glory that they once remembered. In other words, listen, here's a word, church, as I'm finishing up. How God shows up and brings life and calling to you may not meet your human expectations. Our hearts long, as I said, for what is not yet and long to get healed from the loss that we've experienced. But when he comes and he meets us, it won't look exactly how we remember it and it won't look exactly how we expect him to come through. But joy sets us up to say, he's blown us away and fulfilled our dreams our mouths are filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. So God, come and restore. And even if we're weeping through how you're restoring it, we know that you are God and that you are good and your love endures forever. And they wept at the comparison of, that's not how I thought it was gonna go. But others who hadn't, didn't have comparison were rejoicing because God was showing up. One more verse about it, let me encourage you with it. Haggai, really? Yes, we're in Haggai. Haggai chapter two, quickly, somebody get me a page number. It's almost to the New Testament. So go to Matthew and take a, take a left and go back a couple books. Somebody got a page number? Look in your table of contents. That's what I teach my folks in 101 and 201. 947. Thank you. Page 947. Haggai is a prophet also during this time. 
Haggai chapter two. Oh, this is, this is asking too much of you. This is asking too much of you at two minutes to 12. Here you go. This is asking too much of you. Can you handle it? Can you handle Haggai? Are you man enough for Haggai? Here we go. Haggai chapter two. In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. And what's happening here is that, well, you'll see. Okay. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor. Speak to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So the governor, the, the civic leader, and the high priest, the religious leader, and to the remnant of the people. This is them. They've come back into the land now, guys. And he says, the Lord says, speak to them and ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? What does it look like to you now? Does it not seem like nothing? Do you see what's happening? It's that thing. Those people were like, they were... The Lord speaking through the prophet and saying, ask the people, how do you feel about the, temp- the foundations that are being laid right now? How do you feel about this? Does it seem like nothing to you? It doesn't compare, does it? It's not meeting your expectations, right? But the Lord keeps going. But now, be strong. There's a word for some of you who you've seen joy in the past and getting in touch with it, you long for where you have not yet seen God show up or he's not showing up in ways that meet your desires, your expectations yet. But now, the Lord says through the prophet, be strong, Zerubbabel. That might be a word for you. Be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and you work. You go about what I've given you to do. You keep going. For I am with you, declares the Lord, this is what I covenanted you with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Are you following me? Verse 6. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations. I am going to rock the planet again, he promises. I will come and blow your doors off again. In a little while, I will shake the nations, and the desired of all nations will come. Who knows who the desired of all nations is. Who's that referred to? Say his name now, church. That's the Messiah, the savior of the world. Once more, I will come and the savior of the world, Jesus, the desired of all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Skip down to verse nine. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says Yahweh Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace declares the Lord. Friends, he's saying, listen, I know it's not what you're expecting, but you've seen me move in the past. And once again, I will come. And he said, I will be with you and my spirit will remain among you. And the savior, the desired of all nations will come and meet you and fill this place with greater glory than the last place. Whatever it was you were expecting, God says, I'm going 10 times beyond that. I will fill it with glory and I will give it my peace. If you stick with me, then my way will be made known in your life and it will far surpass any other expectations you had. Joy is a signal. Joy in the past, what God has done in the past is a signal to you that that God is at work. He is with you. His spirit remains with you. And the Jesus, the desired of all nations, will come and inhabit it, what you're facing, and make the glory of it surpass anything you could have dreamt. Signal, joy is a signal that God will come. The joy you've experienced in the past is a signal that more joy will come in the future. What are you facing, church? 
What are you facing that where when you look out on the landscape, you go, there's no life. There's no joy yet. It's hard for me to translate. I've seen God work in the past, but I can't imagine how he's going to work in this thing. What are you facing like that? You look over the horizon and there's not one cloud in the sky. And if it doesn't rain, what God has done in the past is a call to you to be faithful and believe and go about what God's given you to do. That same God will come and bring glory. He'll bring peace and joy in the future. Whatever you're facing, cry out. Keep coming, God. Restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. He's worth our trust. Where else would we go? That's why we gather as a church. Because we proclaim that our only hope is in Jesus, our Savior. May you find encouragement from the Word of God today, church.